This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Climate change poses a number of risks to people. Cities in the last couple of decades have experienced quite a bit of flooding. Off the top of my head, I can think about Ottawa and Montreal, Nova Scotia this summer, as well as consistent floods in places all over British Columbia. So what are cities doing? What can they do to, to mitigate the impact of climate events? Well... Some folks are suggesting that cities should become spongier. That's the big idea explored in an, in an article featured in this week's episode of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio. Don Dickinson is the content curator of McLean's Magazine. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Don, I'm great. The article's name, uh, pretty straightforward, Make Cities Spongier. I'm curious, what would a sponge city look like? You know, Dave, it's such an education <laughs> working in this field because you never think about things like this, you know. Uh, typically, Canadian cities are designed to resist and filter out water, okay? So it's all a matter of hard surfaces and like concrete, and they direct water into drains and underground pipes and whatnot. And this kind of what they refer to as repellent design uh, disrupts basically the natural cycle of water, um, which usually soaks into the ground or evaporates, okay? So for decades, this type of urban design was able to handle and divert our rainwater. But of course, with climate change, there's a real problem there, right? Uh, in recent years, uh, there's been serious problems with storms and increased urbanization. So now, of course, we have overloaded pipes and uh, that were designed, obviously, for, for the inadequate amount of rainfall, but now we're getting so much more rainfall. So answer, of course, is a spongier city. And this is the really interesting part. So new infrastructure is built alongside the existing water management system to expand their capacity. So what they're basically saying is rather than ripping up everything and starting anew, these sponge pocket parks that they're um, building have playgrounds that families enjoy during dry weather. But meanwhile, uh, they have they also soak up some of the water and put it into underground storage tanks that hold storm water. And then, of course, that's used for various other purposes. Now, that's just one example, Dave. There's lots of examples in the article in McLean's that talk about how this spongier city can be uh, adapted. In a lot of cases, it's about making cities greener, which is really interesting uh, because it also improves biodiversity, right? It's it's a two-pronged approach when you go spongier. There are a lot of benefits. Now, the idea might be new for a few people reading McLean's this week, but the notion of a sponge system is not brand new. How is the investment paid off elsewhere in other countries? Well, you know, it's interesting. We seem to lag a little behind when it comes to things like this. You know, places like Denmark, um, uh, Germany, uh, and China are global 
global uh, trailblazers in this kind of sponge city concept. And Berlin lots are made with permeable uh, uh, asphalt. I thought that was a, an amazing thing. Uh, more porous forms of concrete. Uh, the new asphalt allows water to seep through its surfaces, collecting underground and uh, collected underground and trickle back into the surrounding environment. Now, Vancouver has made use of an urban design technique called tree trenches. Uh, holding tanks were installed underneath trees uh, the, on the main streets, and they collect excess rainwater from the road and divert it into the tree root system. I thought that was absolutely amazing. And there's just numerous other examples in the article of how they're building, uh, as you say, greener cities and 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 just directing that uh, the water in to better places. You know, Don, what strikes me as well is a lot of these solutions that are being put forward, some of these are not major infrastructural investments, right? This is this is not a billion and billions of dollars project. This is something that can be done a little bit piecemeal without necessarily a, a transformational investment. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Dave. Uh, and that's the nice thing about it, you know, because all of these major cities in Canada, of course, and Toronto in particular, since we heard the news last night about the property tax mm -hmm, increase, mm -hmm. uh, we're all <laughs> we're all a bit uh, cash-strapped, obviously, right? And uh, so cities have to come up with better ideas. They have to come up with them very quickly. And it has to be, um, you know, uh, economical. Don, let's move on to a featured interview in this week's edition of McLean's Magazine. Manitoba's brand new premier, Wab Canoe, the first premier in Canada of, uh, of First Nations descent. The article's titled Wab Canoe Talks by Katie Underwood. Don, Wab Canoe's been a public figure for a long time, and he's, he's not exactly a novice to the political game. He's been in Manitoba politics for a little while now. But what did you take away from this article about the premier? Well, you know, Dave, it, the one thing that really struck me is it really is a redemption story. Um, he makes it very evident uh, because he, he states in the article that before he was premier and NDP MLA and even before he was a, a CBC broadcaster, which I, I wasn't even aware of, uh, he spent many, many years mired in addiction. Uh, he said he refers to it as a dark period that included an impaired driving charge and an assault conviction, uh, detailed very much so in his 2015 memoir, The Reason You Walk. Uh, so then, of course, the interview goes into this and talks about how he really came out of all this uh, in a significant way and decided that, you know, he was going to, you know, straighten himself out and, and get and get into to politics and whatnot. And uh, yeah, he's, he's just done a wonderful job. You know, he, he's gotten clean. He's raised three sons. Um, you know, he's set up shop in the Manitoba legislature. And now, of course, he's really navigating, uh, you know, uh, immediate problems that he has to deal with, you know, mm -hmm. reconciliation, carbon taxes, crime, all the rest of it, just like any politician. I mean, he, he's got to deal with these things and he's absolutely determined, you know. So it, to me, it was, in fact, a real redemption story. Like, uh, uh, you know, he had his tough times and he... Um, you know, through strength and determination, pulled himself out of it. Yeah.
it's it's a reminder that in life we are not defined by the mistakes we make. We're defined by the way we move on from the mistakes that we make and the struggles that we have are not always permanent. So Wab Canoe is a very, very interesting person. I have not had a chance to take in this read just yet, but I've been uh, watching and listening to a lot of long-form interviews that he's done in the last couple of uh, months. Really, really interesting, honest, thoughtful guy. Uh, it's one, of the, one of these people, when, when you think about how sometimes politicians should be the best of us, he is one of these examples of someone who is very, very thoughtful and seems to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he knows what needs to be done. Um, he knows that, uh, you know, he has to draw upon a lot of good people to get the job done. And uh, he's... You know, yeah. determined to make a success of it. Yeah, the people who support him are very, very optimistic about what Premier Canoe can uh, bring to that province. Don, let's uh, wrap up on uh, a, a bit of a, a fun, light note here. Rumor has it you got yourself <laughs> a new eight-week-old puppy. Uh, Don, I mean, come on. Uh, oh. I, I don't mean to age you here, but eight-week-old puppies, that, that's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Dave. You know, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. Oh, my God, I'd forgotten because, of course, we had a dog before. We lost our dog last year after 13 and a half years. And uh, it's a major commitment. As I said, 13 and a half years. It's um, something that you have to give a lot of thought to, which we did. But um, as you know, some of your listeners may know, I, we do have a farm. Uh, we don't live there. Uh, it, it's recreational at this point. I mean, eventually, probably we will live there. And um, we wanted uh, we spend our weekends there, and and we we wanted to replace our dog. Mm. It, it it's a it's a lovely, wonderful place uh, for for a dog. Oh, there's our boy. <laughs> He's on the screen now. <laughs> yeah. What 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 kind of dog? What is it? What is what does he look like? I can't I can't look at my confidence monitor right now. Okay, so he's basically, um, he's a tan, sort of a tan brown color, and he has uh, major white patches on his breast and on his face, and he has all four white paws. And we picked him out of a litter of nine, oh my God, seven, seven uh, females and, and two males. And he was um, born on a Mennonite dairy farm and in St. Jacob's. And we saw the listing, and we drove up there, on Monday, oh my God, it seems like it's been a month, but it was just on Monday. And uh, yeah, they were fully weaned and uh, quite healthy. And we were very pleased to see that they were in a lovely environment, you know, because, you know, there is a warning about picking up uh, animals, you know, a lot of these puppy farms and whatnot. And we were obviously trying to avoid that very much. So so you have to do your research. You, you know, you have to really kind of be aware of the fact that there are people out there trying to make money off of puppies, which is kind of sad. Yeah. But but he's a he's a healthy boy, and he's uh, the joy of our life as of the last three days. <laughs> well, Don, I cannot wait till uh, he gets brought to the office so I can do a little bit of snuggling <laughs> and wrestling with him. That'll be uh, wonderful. Don, uh, enjoy the little bits of sleep you get to uh, have here over the next couple of days. Eight week old puppy. That that's a task. Enjoy it though. <laughs> okay, then, Dave. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> that's Don Dickinson, a content curator with AMI Audio. Remember, you can find. Uh, McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio uh, daily at uh, 9 a.m. Eastern time, unless you're listening to the show right now at amiplus.ca, in which case I usurped it. I am a usurper after all.
Coming up after the break, the Canadian Council of the Blind is hosting a sports and recreation weekend in Atlantic Canada. Community reporter Natalie Fougere gives you the lowdown. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.